is a lot of stuff that, that is happening ministry-wise. A lot of people are being connected, kids, adults. They're praying for people. They send updates to us uh, once a week, and it's really, it's really going well. Um, Jerry and Nur are going to India in last part of October, first part of November. And, yeah, the wives are going with them. Um, I know, isn't that cool? Isn't that fun? But, they, but part of the reason we want the wives to go is because uh, they can meet the wives of the guys and connect. And, and um, plus, Devaj needs some um, uh, American grandmothers to come in there and swoop in and do some stuff. And so, so uh, just continue to be praying for all of that. Uh, we're going to be purchasing the motorcycle as soon as we get money there. Um, we've got the money going. It's just a matter of uh, how, does that, how does that work. And uh, so we'll keep you posted on that. Um, one more thing I did want to mention also, and I'm, I, I'm pretty sure, well, they're, they're going to be here in second service. But so Gordon White, many of you know him and um, his story. Just to give you a kind of a, a quick thing that's going on here a few years ago, um, uh, Heather and the, their kids, the three teenage kids of, of uh, Gordon and Heather, Heather and the kids were killed in a car accident. And this has been a um, crazy difficult journey for all of us, obviously Gordon. And um, over the last few years, God has really done some things, done some really big stuff. And he connected with, uh, reconnected with a girl that he had known in high school. Um, and actually, they, I think they got engaged in high school or right out of high school or something like that. And uh, they reconnected. And just a few weeks ago, Gordon got married to her. And they're going to be here second service. She, she's in town now. But here's the, here's the cool thing that's going on. He has a great job here. She lives in San Antonio. Her daughter's senior in high school this year. They don't, she didn't want to take her out of school, all these different things. And so they've been praying about how can we do this? Does Gordon just quit his job, move there, whatever? So he went to the leadership of his work, and we'd all been praying about this greatly. He went to the leadership of his work and, uh, and said, can I take a leave of absence for uh, about a year, and, and all these things, let her graduate from high school, do all this stuff, and then I come back to my job just like it is here with no changes or anything like that. And uh, when, we, when he and I were talking about that, I was thinking, that's not going to happen. Um, and he went to them and asked them about all this, and they said, yeah, it's a great idea. When do you want to leave? When do you want to be back? And uh, so he's leaving here in a couple weeks, and he's going to be in San Antonio, um, long enough to know he doesn't want to live there, and then he will, <laughs> he will come back here. And uh, it's just, it's just you can see God doing all this. I mean, I've been watching just this unfold, just everything that God's done with Gordon. You can see, you just see God's hand doing stuff. If you just stay focused on God, it's amazing what He can do. And if there's anything that defines these last couple of years for Gordon, it's that he's kept his eyes on the Lord. Uh, through all of this. And so just want to uh, throw that out there. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. <clears throat> um, also, I did want to mention Jim Worden. It was uh, admitted to the hospital um, a couple days ago, I think, and uh, he has infection in his blood. Is that, am I right about that? Oh, yes. Sepsis. Okay. Um, and so let, let's be praying for him. He's down at Memorial uh, downtown. Uh, I think it's okay to go see him. Pray for him, and yes. Remember, we do strongly believe in prayer around here. We believe in healing. We, we know God does that. He does it right now today, and so, um, and he'll use you. He, there's no special people. Um, he, he wants to use you, so just go down and pray for him. That would, that would be uh, wonderful with that. So, turn me to Matthew chapter 6. The last few weeks, I've been looking at forgiveness. We've, we, we've looked at um, what does it mean for, for you to let God forgive you? Uh, the, the forgiveness, I really believe, is the number one thing that um, Christians struggle with, the church struggles with, society struggles with. Uh, and, and, and it does make sense if you think about it, because it, if, if Satan is going to pick on anything, he's going to pick on that. Because if he can convince you, remember 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says that the way Satan attacks us is he attacks your knowledge of God. He doesn't attack God, he can't. And he can attack you only under certain circumstances and only with permission from God if you belong to God. If you're outside of that, that's a different story. But he cannot, he cannot actually do something to you. 
but he can mess with how you think about God, and therefore that opens up the door for how you perceive things to be going on, and then also giving permission uh, to Satan to mess with you in certain, in certain ways. So he attacks your knowledge of God. In fact, the next few verses after that in 2 Corinthians 10 says that uh, we're supposed to bring every thought to the obedience of Christ, or the way I look at it, bring every thought to the foot of the cross. Does it match up to what God says and what Jesus is doing at the cross, or does it not? If it doesn't, reject it and move on. I used to try to explain that to my kids years ago when, when they'd come home from school and, and, and uh, say, so-and-so called me a name. What does that matter? Now, I know to a third grader, having a third grader call you a name is a major deal. But I would always have this comment, they called me a poopy head. Okay, well, are you? Let's fill your head. Doesn't feel like poopy to me. So are you? No. Well, then why are you letting that mess with you? It's not a reality. We do the exact same thing. Satan will mess with us. He will tell us something. And then we begin to believe it. And that's this, this idea that Satan does not want us to be forgiven, doesn't want us to forgive, doesn't want us to think about forgiveness, um, recognize forgiveness. This is a major uh, attack that Satan uses against uh, the church and people of God because it's, it's the thing that can define everything else in your life. If you don't think you're forgiven, you won't serve God the right way. You won't act forgiven. You won't uh, talk to others about forgiveness because... Well, you don't even embrace forgiveness. And so Satan begins to mess with us. So we've looked at what does it mean for you to embrace uh, forgiveness for yourself? What does it mean to, to, uh, to, to understand that forgiveness is something that Jesus does and he does for everybody and he does it instantaneously? All we have to do is reach out in faith. Uh, as I talked about last week, forgiveness is a mindset. It's not a, it's not a moment in time. It's not, okay, I'm going to uh, be forgiven for this. Lord, forgive me or I'm going to forgive somebody. It's not a moment in time about issues. It's a mindset. If you get the mindset, if you know that there's grace, if you know that there's forgiveness, it sets the stage for being forgiven and forgiving others all these other things. Okay, so last week I talked a little bit about also uh, forgiving, forgiving yourself for things, forgiving God for things that you think have, you've been wronged about, or, or these kind of issues. So this week, and this is, I know every one of these are big. I know that these are very difficult for us. It's not difficult what I'm saying. It's difficult how do we do this? How do we embrace this? Or do we do this? Do we make the choice to do this? Um, I understand this is difficult, but I also know, I know on a personal level, because I've had to work through this in my own life in different ways, and, but I know you can do this. I, I know you can. If you, if you will truly go to God and, and get his help with these things and truly put yourself before him, he will help you with every single one of these things. The Lord will help you know you're forgiven. The Lord doesn't have to forgive you again, but he has to help you. I had a good friend of mine that I went to college with, and um, a few years later, I was a youth pastor, and I was hired by the church that he had grown up in, and he was living there again, and he in fact, years later, he became a board member while I was a youth pastor at that church. And I, I would watch, he was, he's a good Christian man. To this day, he's a good, solid Christian man, loves the Lord. His family serves God. They're, they're actively involved in the church and everything. But I watched this as a, as a grown man that had a solid relationship with the Lord and was working in to, to ministry and leadership in the church there and doing things. I would watch that anytime we had a... Um, a, a, an altar call or a time of prayer, anything to do with salvation, he would raise his hand, come down front, do something to get saved. Now, we don't believe in unconditional eternal security or, or what's called once saved, always saved. We don't believe that around here. We don't believe that just because you prayed a prayer one time, you're saved no matter what you do, um, that, that the Lord forgives you of things before they even happen. Okay? I, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't I don't even think that Scripture even comes close to teaching that. But I, I, I do know that you can, even though it's not unconditional, you can have eternal security. All right? you, don't need to, you don't need to go around every single day wondering whether you're saved. I think there's an unhealthiness that comes along with this. And I talked to him a few times about that. And, and, I, and I, 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 um, my pastor and I were talking to him one time. And just told him, you, you don't have to get saved every week. Well, I did this. All you have to do is repent. You're not actually getting saved. You're just getting forgiven. 
Those are two different things. When, when Jesus says in John chapter 3 that he didn't come to bring condemnation, and when Paul says in Romans 8 that there's no condemnation in the Lord, we have to understand that. We have to embrace that. You don't need to walk around beat down and, and um, guilty all the time. You can walk in forgiveness. You can walk in grace. You can, but it has to be a mindset, not a moment. And that's where he was struggling with. He didn't have a mindset of forgiveness. He didn't have a foundation of grace. He had a, he had a moment in time. We can be forgiven and that the Lord covers us with his, with his blood. Now, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 9, I was going to do this a few different ways. I was looking at going to a story. That's the way I, you guys know I like to do that. I like to look at people in Scripture and see how they did this, what did they do, good, bad, whatever. And then we break that down and we learn from that. And rather than going down that road, um, because I think sometimes, um, sometimes the details of people's lives and everything, we can begin to try to translate that in our own mind of whether we have the ability to do what they did, which most of the time I like that. But for this subject, I don't want to assess this from somebody's point of view or how they did or did not do this and then decide whether we can do it. I think that becomes detrimental in this kind of situation. So I'm going to do this a lot more just, this is the facts, ma'am. This is the facts. Okay? Um, we're just going to look at Scripture and say, this is what Jesus said. Let's just do that. This is what he told us. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is the Lord's Prayer. Disciples come up to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And, um, and, and it's interesting that what Jesus did was he taught them, in my opinion, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, he wasn't teaching them like a structure, although he does provide that for them. There's a basic structure in the Lord's Prayer that, that is pretty consistent in actually how we look at the Lord and how we uh, approach him. In fact, the Lord's Prayer really is lined out very well in the Old Testament in places like Second Chronicles chapter 7 and things like that, if my people will pray, seek the there's, there's The Lord's Prayer is that mind, okay? But I believe what Jesus was actually doing is teaching them to pray, teaching them the significance and the importance of this to carry you through because he goes over some really basic stuff for our life. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. It sounds different when you read it in a different translation, right? Some of you are like, that's not the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I struggle with that sometimes because I, when I memorize Scripture, 99% of the time I memorize it in uh, King James. King James is way easier to memorize than any translation. Um, but, but when you're reading it, I don't read King James. The only time I ever look at King James is when I'm memorizing a Scripture. Um, I read this guy. But then I'll go back and somebody will say, hey, what does this verse say? And I have to quote it in King James. And then they're like, that's not what my Bible says that you just handed to me. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I love that sentence. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a whole series about that sometime in the future. But that God's will that's already established. But it doesn't just happen on this earth. You understand that? This, this is a major sentence that takes away the idea of predestination. If it was just going to happen on earth, why would Jesus say, ask God for it to happen on earth? If it was just going to happen anyways. But this is a great sentence because it lets us know that the Lord desires, because this is Jesus talking, the Lord desires for his will to be done in your life on this earth. I've got a series coming up. We've got two series coming up in the next couple months. I'm going to do a series on, on uh, spiritual warfare. And we're going to look at it a little differently maybe than you processed before. We're going to break it into categories. But then I'm going to do a, a series after that on God's will. It's interesting how many different ways we approach God's will. And, and or how we understand God's will. And one of the most interesting to me is the fact that we always bring our own self and a little bit of narcissism in there that says, I will define how I think God's will works. That, that's, that's interesting. So he says, may your will be done on earth as it's already established in heaven. You've already got it. Give us today the food we need. I, I, I've struggled with that sentence sometimes because it doesn't say, give us the food we desire. Give us the food. Um, give us lots of food. That's a big one for me. You could have said that, Lord. You could have said, give us an abundance of food. He doesn't say, hey, give us the food we need. Take care of us right now today. And the Lord has always promised he will do that. He will take care of you. He will provide for you. Scripture says that, that, um, that his children will not go without that kind of thing. 
But it, it, it's, it's funny how, I, I just said this, this is why it's in my head, I just said this to somebody this week, they said something about gluttony, and I said, well, I don't preach on gluttony. <laughs> okay, so, <clears throat> it's a sin, too. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. One of the more difficult sentences in Scripture, because it lays it down very simply. Lord, forgive me, but only in the, in the same way or with the equality of how I forgive somebody else. So if we reverse that sentence, and this is true, you can't always do this, but if you reverse this sentence, it's true. If I don't forgive others, Jesus will not forgive me. No matter how much we go to church, no matter how close we feel to God, no matter how all the things that we do in church and all this kind of stuff, and this is something that I think is a, is a tragic um, a misconception, a lie that Satan has convinced the church of is that you don't actually have to forgive other people. You'll be fine. You don't really have to forgive others. And, and, and here's how we, here's how we um, um, confirm it to ourselves. We feel God's presence. Well, if therefore, if I feel God's presence, then he's with me, then I must be forgiven, and I don't have to worry about forgiving other people. This is why I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I started this series. I was talking to a guy a couple months ago, a few months ago, and, and he blatantly said to me, because of some issues with his, his, uh, his, uh, uh, his parents, his in-laws, all these different things, and he basically said, I will never forgive my father-in-law. And, and he says he's a Christian. And I said, that's a pretty strong statement. He said, I don't care what you say. I am never going to forgive my father-in-law. What do I do with that? I wonder wrestling to the ground and just sit on time and say, I'm not getting up till you change this. Because you're, you're deceiving yourself to think that you are walking in Christ, walking in grace, and forgiven, and on your way to heaven if you've got that kind of mindset. You, you're not. And I, and, I, and I like this guy. I care for this guy. I, I wish there was something I could have done to change his mind. And, I, and I've talked to him about it a handful of times. It doesn't matter what you say. That's what he always says to me. It doesn't matter what you say. I will never forgive him. That's not okay. Guys, we're playing around with eternity when we do things like that. We're not just dealing with, with um, feeling good on this planet, which is, which is part of our struggle in American churches. We've really turned a lot of our Christian thinking in America right now. We've turned it into very temporal. How does it affect me now? Not what does it have eternal significance with, but how does it affect me now? Does it make me feel good or not now? Do I, do I feel spiritual or not now? And so then we just kind of deal with that on a temporal level, not realizing that everything has eternal significance to it when we're talking about our spiritual walk, relationship, God's Word, all these kind of things. You, you don't have the freedom. I mean, you can, you can um, deceive yourself, but you don't actually have the, the real truth freedom of... Uh, saying that things are only temporary, only living in the temporary. You don't really have that luxury because you're an eternal person that is going to step into eternity someday. Forgiving, grace, all of this kind of stuff is so big. This is, this is why the, the subject of this, the title of this is Embracing Grace. We've got to get to the point where we understand that we have to, to intentionally embrace grace. And you've got to embrace it to you, from you, so that so uh, through you, so that it be for others too, from God to you, all these all these different layers of forgiveness. You have to embrace grace. You've got to embrace the big picture of grace, not just forgiveness of an issue. You've got to embrace the big picture. And he says, Don't don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. It, it is interesting to me that um, Jesus actually mentions Satan in the Lord's Prayer. Part of the reason that this is interesting to me because there's so many people that don't believe that uh, there is such a thing as Satan or that there is such a thing as hell. or any, It's amazing to me how many people think that way or believe that way. There's a lot of things in Scripture there's some nuance to. Heaven and hell is not one of them. It's, it's very blatantly seen in Scripture that there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is eternity. You're going to spend eternity in one of those two places. That, that, that is very uh, strong in Scripture. It's not mild. It's strong. 
If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is is interesting that the next couple sentences after the Lord's Prayer, so the Lord's Prayer is basically done at that point, Jesus circles back around and makes sure that everyone standing there understands the sentence where he says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. After, after he finishes this, he circles back around and says, okay, now let, let me make sure you understand what I just said in the prayer. Because he's not playing around with this. This is not, this is not a subtle thing that goes on in Scripture. He says very strongly, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. Do you see what he's saying? It doesn't say anything about the other person being forgiven on an on a, on a eternal basis. He's literally talking temporal when it comes to the other person, but he's talking eternal with you. If you forgive those others, God will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. No matter how often you pray, no matter how often you, you do the things, you will not be forgiven. You can ask him over and over and over, Lord, forgive me, Lord, forgive me. And, he, and, and it's not that God is saying, I'm not going to forgive you. And this is the interesting thing. This is where we get confused about it. We say, well, how could, how could God hear us ask for forgiveness and just not forgive? It's not God's choice. He's already set the parameters. It's your choice. He's, he's set the structure. And he says, if you want grace in your life, you have to embrace grace across the board. You don't get to embrace grace for certain parts of your life. In other words, you don't get to embrace grace to you if grace is not coming from you. You either embrace grace. See, when we use the term forgiveness, it kind of convolutes in our head, in my, in my opinion. It convolutes in our head a little bit as to being forgiven or forgiven others, and we think that those are two different things. It's the same subject. You're either embracing grace... You're not embracing grace. You know, well, no, I, I'm embracing grace for my sins to be forgiven. You're either embracing grace or you're not embracing grace. Forgiveness is part of your foundation or it's not part of your foundation. There's not an in-between there. You don't have the ability to say, I'm going to forgive some people, some things, some circumstances or not. You're either embracing grace so it can be to you and from you. Has to, it's just grace. Or you're not embracing grace. And Jesus is saying, not that God is, is going to hold forgiveness from you. It's that you're holding forgiveness from you. Because you're stopping grace. I don't want grace. Well, I want it for me. No, do you want grace or not? You know, have you ever had those kind of conversations with your kids? Do you want this? Well, I only want some. I just want it now. for the, you know. Do you want this or do you not? Right? God is having this conversation with us. If you want forgiveness, it's there, but it's got to be all or nothing. Okay? Continuing on to Matthew 18. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, that's, I, I've literally had these conversations many times over the years with people. So what if I add up every time I forgive them and I get to 490? I guess you can stop because you've missed the point. I mean, think about what, but I've had people ask that. Why? Because here's, here's the quick answer. If you're trying to figure up to 490 times so you don't have to forgive them anymore, you, you didn't forgive them once, much less 490. You, you, you skip past forgiveness and you begin to keep a, an account. And people that keep accounts are not forgiving. They're counting. Somebody should write that down. That was solid. <laughs> right? That's, that, that's proof we're not forgiving. And part of the reason Jesus says 70 times 7 is he's trying to say a big number that says, hey, just keep going. Because by the time you get to 490, you're either forgotten what, how many there is, or you, you just embrace grace. You just embrace forgiveness. And so you can just... Live in forgiveness. We've got, to, we've got to see that this is a bigger than the moment subject. It's not about what somebody's done 
or what you've done. It's about God forgiving. And he does that to us and he does that through us. So it's not seven times, 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors who was brought in who was brought in, who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife and his children and everything he owned, to pay the debt. That was, that was common uh, back in the times of Jesus. If you, now, it doesn't make sense to me, but if you went into debt, you were put in jail until your debt was paid. How do you make money in jail? Now, you do in America, but not then. I, I mean, think about what we're saying here. This, but this was normal. So your family had to go out and, and ask for it and borrow it or, or get to work for it or do whatever so they could pay off your debt so you could get out. And this guy owed millions of dollars. In other words, he was never getting out of prison. Never going to happen. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I'll pay, I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. This sentence is a, is a direct description of what we do as human beings on a regular basis in relationship to God. God forgives us of complete everything, washes us clean, puts it as far as the east from the west, all the things we've looked at over the last few weeks, and then we will hold somebody accountable for something that, that is tiny, tiny compared to what the Lord has forgiven us for. This is another thing that growing up in the church, and I saw this, and, and as a pastor, I've seen this many times. It's amazing to me how Christians, specifically Christians that have been saved a while, I'm saying like at least a few years, how easy it is for us as Christians to become very judgmental against new Christians or other Christians. We forget that we're forgiven. We forget what the Lord has done for us. We forget who we were before and who we are now in contrast to that. And we begin to point at other people and be critical and be negative and, and, and condemning and those kind of things. It, it, it is, to me, it is, one, it is when I see that, when I see people just being mean and legalistic against somebody else, it proves to me that they are not walking in forgiveness. I've said that three or four different ways over the last few weeks. You guys, we've got to get this in our spirit sometimes because it's so easy for us as human beings to become very critical of other people, other Christians. This is the way I've said this for years. This is the way I've always processed it, is we always hold other people accountable for what they do, their actions, but we, don't, we hold ourselves accountable for our intentions. Well, I intend to be a good person. I, I'm going to, whatever. Not what we're doing, but we'll hold somebody else accountable for what we're doing, and sometimes it's the, for what they're doing, and sometimes it's the exact same thing that we're doing. But we hold them accountable. We've, we've got to not let that Satan get that, plant that little seed and get in our head and our spirit about being um, critical of other people, being legalistic and st strong-headed against other people. It's very destructive. It's mostly destructive to you. But it's also very destructive to them. Let grace be in your life. Never forget that. As, a, as an early 20-somethings, I, 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 I came across this story, and I can't remember. Usually I can tell you who said it and all this. But this, this guy was walking by um, this bar, this evangelist was walking by this bar, and there's a guy laying in the gutter, and he was walking with somebody else. And, and one of the guys said, look at that drunk laying in the gutter. And the other guy, the minister, said, but for the grace of God, go I. And that, that's always stuck in my head and my spirit that this pastor got it in a way that, for some reason, the other guy he was walking with that was a Christian didn't get it. You realize it's only grace that keeps us, holds us, protects us. It's only the grace of the Lord that does that. We, we are susceptible to anything anybody else is susceptible to. This is something I've even tried to explain to people that have grown up in church, grown up in good, solid Christian uh, mentalities and lifestyle. You don't know the gift that you've been given. That there's a natural second nature thought process that, that, um, of morality, of right thinking. And, and sometimes we take that for granted. And then you come across somebody that didn't grow up in the church and they get saved and they're trying to do this right, but they're making a lot of mistakes because 
they don't have the same background. They don't have the same understanding. I had this conversation with many people before. I, I've told the story. I won't go into detail. But I told the story of a couple guys in, in the first church I was lead pastor of here in Colorado uh, 25, 26 years ago. The, one of the brothers had a whole yard. He got saved, but he had a whole yard, almost an acre, uh, full of marijuana. And that's back when it was bad. And, and he came to me. Him and his brother came to me and said, you know, we're Christians now. Should we cut that down? Should we get rid of that? I didn't know they had. I was like, yes, you, yes, you should. But here's the thing. He didn't know. But the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, something not, might, might not be right about this. You, you understand? The Holy Spirit's pretty good about that. He will convict us. He will work with us. And you can actually speak into people's life if you're doing it with the right attitude and love to really help them. That's not being critical. It's just pointing at somebody Ah, oh, they need to do this. They need to do this. You don't understand grace. Grace is the reason you're not doing this. No, no, I've chosen. Why have you chosen? Because of grace. Why do you even know you need to choose? Because of grace. Grace sets the foundation. You see this. So he goes to this guy. Hey, you owe me a few thousand. He owed a million, millions. But he, the, his fellow servant fell down before him. And beg for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay, pay it. The exact same sentence he said to, uh, to um, the, the king. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he'd forgiven and said, You evil servant. This, this is a big one, guys. Because this also goes into the one saved, always saved. Jesus is the one saying this, so we can't get confused about the, the authority with which he's saying it. Jesus goes to the guy that has already been forgiven. He's already been forgiven. And he calls him an evil servant. I forgave you the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angered king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. This is Jesus saying this. Sometimes we get this idea that, that Jesus is just floating around like a, a, a guy in a white robe and everything's blessing and good and all kinds of stuff. That, have you, when you see movies and you, see, and you hear stories of this where Jesus appears to somebody, we, it always seems to have this ethereal, I love you. You know, and, and we know that that's Jesus. I just, I just spent a few weeks talking about that. But I would like to see the moment when Jesus steps into the room and says, you know what, you need to grow up. I want to hear that story. Because he's done that to me. And I know he's done that to some of you. You need to stop doing some of this stuff. It's unhealthy for you. The, the king gets angry, sends him into the man to prison. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters, from your heart. Truly forgive them. A few basic things. Number one, we're supposed to surrender and submit to God in all things, not just some things. This is, a, again, this compartmentalization mentality that we have so strongly in America. This, this is weird how we do this. We only surrender and submit in certain things, not all things. I mentioned to you last week, I think it was, the article that I had read that um, uh, at a Christianity Today, I think it was, that said that over 80% of all millennials right now believe that sex outside of marriage is not something that God cares about. It doesn't matter. God's not going to be upset. He's not going to hold it accountable to you, nothing like that. Except that the Bible says that. You're disagreeing with what Jesus himself said. It's... But we just say, well, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm going to think, and you know, I'll come up with my own ideas. Everybody can just deal with it. No, you're the one who's going to deal with it. When you get to eternity, God's going to hold you accountable for the Christian ideas you came up with. And then they're either going to be right or they're going to be wrong, and there's not going to be a middle ground. They're either going to be right or they're going to be wrong. And man, that just, that just undercuts everything about our society right now. There is a right, there's a wrong, and you're either right or wrong. Well, no, it's the way I think, or it's the way I believe, or this is my understanding, or this is my philosophy. I, I, was, I was watching a thing the other day where um, it, some senators and Congress uh, people had said this, congressmen and women, 
had, had, were talking about uh, truth and all these different kind of things. And uh, they'd asked some people to, uh, to talk to them about this. And one of them was Oprah Winfrey. And she said, well, I think it's important for us today to embrace the truth that we, that we embrace our own personal truth. And it's important to tell your truth story. That, I, I went back and listened to that three or four different times, and then I listened to the rest of what she said. And basically what she was saying is, your truth is valid and important just because it's your truth. This is an interesting thing about the word truth. You can't apply your in front of it. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as your truth. That's irrelevant. You're irrelevant when it comes to truth. There's either truth or there's not, and you have nothing to do with that. You can't change it. You can't create it. There is truth. That's it. There's not my truth. There's not your truth. There's just truth. And the one who creates truth is God. And it was interesting. Well, you need to tell your truth story. No. And here's the thing. If you're going to say, let me tell you my truth story. I don't think I want to hear it. I don't mind hearing truth. Let's talk about truth. I don't want to hear your version of it. There's no such thing. For you to say it's your version, you've changed it. It's no longer true. We, we, we do this thing sometimes. If I'm going to say, okay, this is what God's word says, I have to go by it. I have to submit to him in everything. I can't piecemeal this out. I've got to submit. Now, now let's put some balance in understanding sanctification. It doesn't mean that you know all truth immediately and you, and you have to do it. But you are growing, or you need to be, you should be growing toward uh, more truth and submitting at all times. It doesn't mean when you get saved, you're completely submitted to God on every single level. There are things you don't even know about yet that are going to be big um, um, obstacles to uh, submission. But when you come to those, you've got to make choice. Lord, I'm going to submit to you. Forgiveness is, is one of the biggest. Can I forgive others? Now, here's something that's very important when it comes to forgiving. This, I said this two weeks ago about you being forgiven, that forgiveness has nothing to do with um, you and another individual. It has nothing to do with what you choose. Forgiveness is something that God does. So if you'll just embrace being forgiven, it doesn't. Remember when I was talking about, even last week when I was talking about forgiving God, forgiveness doesn't have anything to do. God's never wronged you, but that doesn't mean you still don't need to forgive him because there's some things in your heart. Are you wrong about those? Yes, you're wrong about those. But you still need to forgive God because of what it's done in your heart, your mind, your spirit. It's the same way with forgiving somebody else. Forgiveness has nothing to do with the other person. We automatically assume, there's, there's, this is human nature, that if we forgive somebody, we're letting them off the hook. That's not a possibility. Anymore that if you've wronged somebody and they forgive you, you've been let off the hook. You're still going to be held accountable for what you've done regardless of whether they have forgiven you or not. And it's the same way someone else is still going to be held accountable for what they've done even, if, uh, even after you've forgiven them. The accountability is still there. God is the reconciler of all things. He'll take care of all that. But our problem, the part of the reason we struggle with forgiveness on this earth is because we want to see them get uh, what's due them, what we think is due them. That's the interesting thing. Well, they need to get what's coming to them. Who decides that? You don't. God does. But we want them to be punished on this earth instead of let God take care of it. I can tell you 100% in my spirit right now, if I have the choice of being punished on this earth for things that I've done or being punished by God for things, I will take this earth. Because God's eternal. God's transcendent. Sure, punish me on this earth. Now, why am I saying that? Okay, this is, this is not healthy this is circular reasoning, but I just want to throw it out here because it might help you get where you need to go sometimes, okay? If you really want them to get what to do them, let God take care of them. You forgive them, let go of it, and let God take care of them. As long as you don't forgive them, God can't take care of them. You're holding that. You're like, God, I got this. That's what, that's what unforgiveness does. They've wronged you. They've done something horrible, and God steps in to bring reconciliation, to bring his, uh, his justice to the moment, which is pure, but we say, no, God, I will take care of them. That's what unforgiveness does. 
God's like, well, if you'll let me take care, no, I'll take care of them. Because I'm not going to forgive them. I'm holding this account. This account's in my hand. I have the bill. Instead of just saying, here, God, here's the bill. I'll give it to you. You do what you want to do. But see, we're scared to death that God will forgive them (laughs) and wipe the bill clean, just like he's done for us. Right? God, don't do that. Don't forgive them. Don't wipe that bill clean. They need to be punished. So we hold on to the bill. We don't give it to God. And God says, I can't. I can't take care of this until you let go of it. And so we hold on, we hold on. The second thing is that God does provide grace. And here's where it's get, it gets important. We must, to, to have forgiveness in our life, we have to embrace grace. I already went over that. We've got to embrace it. God is the one who provides grace. You and I don't. God provides grace. We forgive. God is the originator of forgiveness, grace, mercy, all these kind of things. And the last thing is that forgiveness, forgiving others is embracing this grace. It's not saying what they did is okay. It's embracing grace. Lord, I need grace. This is why some people struggle so much with peace and joy. Because we're stopping those things from moving in our life. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us peace, but we're stopping it. Because we're holding on to the account of somebody else. Instead of letting it go, let God have it and forgive. And here's the key. I know you can do it. Because God wouldn't ask us to do something we can't do. You can forgive. You can. But you've got to work at it. You've got to ask. You've got to let the Holy Spirit do some things. Sometimes to, to forgive, we've got to let the Holy Spirit break down some stuff in us. Hey, don't hold on to unforgiveness. Don't. It'll hurt you so bad. It doesn't do anything to the other person. It doesn't harm them, hurt them. In fact, this is one of the things I found over time is a lot of the times the people that you haven't forgiven don't even remember you or the issue. But we think we're holding the account. And they're like, what? I didn't never do that to you. I've done that myself. I've come to people and said, you did this. No, I didn't. And you can tell they're not just saying it. They really believe. They think I'm crazy. I didn't do that. But you did. You better admit it right now. I didn't do that. What? Forgive it. Give God the account. Give God the bill. Walk away. And here's another couple things I think is important. Um, because I, I've, I've talked about that. This is one of the, so there's two or three major subjects in Scripture where I've really, because of my own personal life, I've really processed this some stuff so deeply and talked to so many people about this. Ask questions. Because I need to know. I want to know, how are you doing? How did you hurdle this? How do you do all this kind of stuff? Here, here's something that, that is important. Forgiving somebody doesn't mean you have to reconcile with them. Okay, that's important. Because sometimes that's not a possibility. Here's a couple examples. One is, they've already died. How do you reconcile with that? You don't. Another thing is, is they don't want to reconcile with you, or they don't even know what's happened, or whatever, I mentioned that. Forgiving doesn't mean fixing the relationship. Um, Sometimes that will come out of it, but not always. Here's another example. I talked to some people. This was years ago. I was in court with them over through this whole process. Somebody had killed their daughter, murdered their daughter. And they had this idea that if they forgave this person, that somehow they have to have a relationship with them. You don't have a relationship with them. Just forgive them and move on. Let God take care of them. Let people take care of them. You don't have to be buddies with them. You just have to forgive them. Here's another thing. People have said forgiving means trusting someone. No, it doesn't. I I may be able to forgive Charles Manson, but I'm not going to let him babysit my kids. Those are two different things. You can forgive somebody, and, and, and I've seen this, I've experienced this. Sometimes forgiving them lets you see the truth of it enough that you don't trust them. They're not trustworthy. Forgiving is between you and God. It's not between you and the person. It's not between you and anything. It's between you and God. God, do I forgive them? That's between you and God. You forgive them, you move forward. That's That's it. Let the Holy Spirit do that with you. I want to show you a little video as we, as we close this up. See, you, you just let him get away with it. Nobody gets away with anything. Everything bears consequences. 
What he did was horrible. I'm not asking you to excuse what he did. I'm asking you to trust me to do what's right and to know what's best. And then what? Forgiveness doesn't establish your relationship. It's just about letting go of his throat. Mac, the pain inside is devouring you, robbing you of joy and crippling your capacity to love. I can't. You're not stuck because you can't. You're stuck because you won't. Why don't you stand with me? Guys, this, this is where it comes to. What he said there is the key. You can. You can. You just got to make that choice. And then go that direction. It may take a while. I don't think it's instantaneous. We're going to pray for people this morning, but I don't think it's instantaneous. Sometimes it is. But I think you got you to gotta start the journey. Take the first step toward forgiveness. Say, Lord, help me. If, you, if that's the first step you take, Lord, help me forgive them. Just help me forgive them. It's amazing how quickly you can get there to let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit truly lead you in this, okay? So bow your heads. And now the first thing we're going to pray is um, we're just going to pray for Jesus to, to forgive us, to wash us clean. Um, some of you in here, you may have never done that. You may have never asked Jesus to be Lord over your life, Savior of your life. But that's what we're going to do first. We're just going to ask him to, to be our Savior, be in charge of us. And so I'm not going to ask anybody to come down front or anything like that. We're all going to pray as a group together. But if you say, that's me, I need Jesus to be God over me. I don't think he is. I don't think I'm forgiven. I don't think I've talked to him about this. If you say, that's me, um, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. And we're just going to, like I said, we're going to pray as a group. All right. This, this is the greatest start to anything. Jesus, I need to be forgiven. So everybody in the room, if you'd repeat this prayer with me, and for you guys that raise your hand, be, do the best you can. Make this your, your personal prayer. But every one of us, let's just pray this together. You can repeat this after me. Lord God, I need you more than anything. I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. And I want to serve you with my whole life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that, that you really did make it this simple if we're serious with you, if our hearts attached to you. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us to see this forgiveness and grace in our own life. Stir that up with us. Every one of us in this room, stir up a remembrance of the depth and reality of grace, mercy, forgiveness. Lord, that we can look at the person in the gutter and realize it's only grace that keeps me from going there. So keep your head bowed. I want to ask the next question and we'll, we'll finish praying with this. You see, I I really am struggling with forgiving somebody, maybe multiple persons or whatever, but I'm struggling with forgiving somebody. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick and, and, and keep up just a little bit. I want us to really think about this and pray about this. Yeah, okay. All right. I, th I, think, there's, I think there's a lot more of this sometimes going on than, than we... I think we're struggling with this more than we admit to ourselves sometimes. You say, I need to forgive. I need to forgive. God, I, I pray. Lord, first I just pray that grace will move through every heart in this room. God, let grace rule. Let grace rule. Lord, you told us that we're, when sin starts kicking up, you kick up more grace. And so, Lord, when when there's something going on that's hindering us from forgiving, Lord, kick up more grace. Lord, consume our mind and our spirit with grace right now. 
grace. Lord, help us to forgive. Lord, help us to forgive. Every person that raised their hand, Lord, give them something right now, a, a step to take, something to do, some, some logistical understanding of our faith that we can take practical steps toward forgiving. Lord, show us scriptures that will help us, empower us to forgive. Lord, remind us of how much you want to forgive us Help that to propel us to forgive. God, and give us, every one of us in this room, give us a confidence that we can forgive. God, and I pray for this, this whole series I've been doing. God, give us a confidence that we're forgiven. You said that the Holy Spirit would, would tell my spirit directly that I belong to God. Lord, confirm that to every person in this room. God, help us to be forgiven, to know it, to think it, believe it, embrace it. Lord, help us to forgive others. Help us to forgive you if we need to. God, help us to not stop grace from flowing through our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. In the name of Jesus, Lord, help us to forgive. Help us to forgive. Jesus. Jesus. Let me give you a couple things to process before we go. You might need to have somebody come alongside of you and help you with this. I've, I've, I've done that a couple of times over the years where I realized this was bigger than me. That's one of the guys I talked about. I think I talked about him Wednesday or Wednesday before. He just turned 96 a couple of weeks ago. He and I get together a few times a year. and we, He's one of my closest friends. I've asked him twice over the years. I've asked him, I need some help with this. I need you to help me forget. Will you pray with me about it? And then at the most inopportune time, he asked me about this. And by inopportune time, I meant pretty much any time. He asked me, how are you doing with that? And I thought, I don't want to talk about this. And he'd, he'd kind of corner me and make me, let's, let's talk about this. How are you doing? Are you forgiven? Are you forgiving, not forgiven? Well, maybe. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. Get somebody to help you. Don't try to do it by yourself. Have somebody walk along beside you. And then set up a plan. Set up a specific plan. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to read these scriptures. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to process through this. Get you a little plan. And God will honor it. It's a guarantee. All right. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to, to, to tell somebody about Jesus. Sometime this week, he's going to orchestrate a little moment, a little time, where you can progress uh, somebody a little closer toward the cross. Look for those moments. Look for those times. Pray about them. Ask God to give them to you. And then just step out there in faith and talk to somebody. And you'll be amazed at what God can do. Tell somebody about Jesus. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here. And uh, we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.